So I thought we would uh, start this evening with uh, some light-hearted words, very weighty, uh, unweighty words. Uh, let's start here with these two. Love and hatred. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting start. I'm not sure where this is going. Um, these two words find themselves on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's so interesting to me, though, how uh, we use them. Uh, we use these terms, it seems like, in some of the most awkward times. Uh, we'll say something like today, like, I just, I love the weather today. Any of you guys say that? Man, I just, I love the weather. It was so nice. It felt like January. It was incredible. And then out of the same mouth, we'll say, yeah, 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 I love the weather, but I hated the wind. Like, it, the, I walked in the house uh, this afternoon for my 2.30 pre-Wednesday night shower, my third of the day. And um, don't laugh, please. I, I'm not, I don't, I don't have OCD, I promise. And uh, I promise, I promise. That's OCD in itself. You'll get that later. Um. And my wife says, uh, honey, what happened to your hair? And uh, I kind of had the wind, uh, no moose. This, this isn't natural. I didn't know if you guys. I just want to have a moment of vulnerability with you. I, yeah, I, I, I use product in this mug, okay? And uh, anyway, my wife says, what happened to your hair? I kind of had like the poof blonde thing working, you know. Love the weather. I hate the weather. We'll go over to a friend's house and we'll say, uh, you know, because they're making dinner. They put some casserole in front of you. And of course, like you're trying to be cordial. You're like, man, this, lo- this looks awesome. What's these crunchy things in it? I'm not, are those croutons or is that some kind of weird mystery meat, right? And, and you're like trying to be really encouraging. Man, I just, I love this casserole. Thanks so much. You get in your car with your friends or your wife or your husband. You're like, that was the nastiest thing I've ever eaten in my life. That tasted like a mix between rabbit and gopher. Like, I'm not even sure what that was. I hated that. That was another thing we'll say, uh, kind of a weird way of using these words. We'll say things like, yeah, I just, I just love that song or that group or that show or whatever. Uh, and then on the same mouth, we'll, yeah, but I just, I hate this group or this kind of music. Uh, for me, it's country music. Uh, I, I can confidently, uh, very uh, eloquently say I hate it. Um, uh, in my house, I'm teaching my young children well, just... Uh, discipling them, <clears throat> uh, country music, uh, and I call it music loosely, but it'll come on, it'll come on my, uh, my TV screen there, and I'm, I'm teaching my children, we're like, take like little darts that can stick to it, and we'll like throw it at it, you know, I'm like, kids, this music is from Satan right here, it's coming straight from hell, you know, did daddy just say hell? I'm worried. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting how we use these words. Uh, do you remember the first time that you told told someone that you loved them that wasn't a pet, a grandma, or your mom. You remember that, right? Uh, Amy, Amy Bursler was her name for me. I'm bringing you guys into my whole love life. Last week, it was Kylie Pebble. Uh, this week, this week uh, Amy Bursler. She was my next-door neighbor. Uh, we had just moved to town and uh, seven years old. And I was pretty, pretty confident at eight that I was going to marry the girl. And um, I remember still the moment where uh, the notes kind of transitioned from check here if you like me to, uh, to the, like the XO, like I love you thing, right? And you think in your eight-year-old mind um, that you understand what love is, right? Right now I have all kinds of songs going through my mind. You got, you know, like, I want to know what love is. You know what I'm saying? Like I just like feel it, man. Can you, you, guys, can you guys edit that out, the recording, then please don't. It's off tune. Like always. Um, but seriously, I thought I knew like what love was. You look back, you're like, dude, you were the, f- you know, you told this eight-year-old girl, Amy Bursle, that you loved her. You had no idea what the word meant, you know. 
uh, on a more uh, heavy note, remember the first time you ever felt hatred? I uh, had the rare opportunity of going to a grade school in a city that uh, David Letterman did a top 10 reasons why it's the worst place to live in America. Uh, it's Kankakee, Illinois, uh, affinitively called Skankakee, Illinois, uh, by many who live there. Um, is, is that, did I, I'm sorry. She seemed particularly offended. Um, anyway, I, uh, my best friend was uh, Arthur Randall, and uh, he was an African-American. I remember coming home. My grandfather was a racist and an alcoholic, one of them. I had another that was a stallion, but one of them a racist and alcoholic, and I was a young kid coming home, and I was telling my grandfather about my new friend, Arthur Randall, how he was my best friend, how I loved him so much. And I guess he assumed just because of the name, um, you know, he, he asked me if he was, um, and he said black, and, and I said, yeah, and I'd never heard such words come out of a man's mouth before. Uh, there were some new words that he taught me. And I remember for the, for, for the first time as a young kid feeling hatred, uh, thinking to myself, I don't know who this man is, um, but I love Arthur, like, like who Arthur is and are we like we dude you haven't like on the playground we just roll it man and like it's awesome and skin doesn't matter but I remember like how heavy it was and uh, I'm burdened tonight by the fact that I think that we deal with hatred more than any of us are willing to admit and so tonight uh, I want to expose that if you don't mind um, actually I won't be doing it the the scripture will be for us. And uh, so I'm just, I'm praying that you're okay being vulnerable tonight. I'm praying that you're okay just with me saying like, yeah, I struggle with hatred sometimes. Um, and if we can kind of all get on that same page, I think we can dive in tonight. So is that cool? So we're going to dive and take a journey through God's word and expose the hearts of us all, including myself. So open up your Bibles to a Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. Last week, of course, we... Uh, we're blessed to study God's discipline on us, and we're going to look at that more intensely here in just a moment. Turning your Bibles or your uh, LED screens. I, I had mentioned previously uh, last week to you that uh, here in a couple weeks we're getting ready to launch our uh, Matthias's Lot phone application, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, so if you have an iPhone, an iPad, or an Android, you'll be able to download that for only $16.99 uh, starting here in a couple of weeks. I'm just kidding. It's only 5 bucks. Um, just kidding about that too, it's free. Uh, <laughs> you're like, five dollars, that's, better be going for the work of the Lord. All right, here we go. Let's start here in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And finally in verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It's an interesting uh, passage. It's a very uh, heavy text, and it all starts here in verse 12. It says this, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. The therefore is connecting this verse with the previous. The previous, like I already mentioned, was talking about God's discipline. The writer, inspired by the Spirit here, knows full well that, that we respond to discipline differently. It's best seen even, even in my kids, three kids, you guys know this. And all three of my kids, given the same exact discipline, form of it, they all respond very differently. A little Princess Avery 
bring her through the process. She disobeys me, take her in another room like I described last week. I talk her through how she has um, disobeyed me, therefore sinned against God, and, um, and sin has consequences. And, and so I, I then uh, spank her, and then I hold her and love her and tell her how much Daddy uh, forgives her and loves her. But Avery, every time this happens, like she responds with, like it, it's, it's as if I'm telling her every time that I discipline her that I hate her. I mean, she just, she gets all consumed. She gets kind of girly, you know. I mean, she's just very uh, emotional, a wee bit dramatic for my Scotland brothers here. She, she just gets like really, she gets really enveloped. Um, in fact, like so much so that like I could, did your, did your parents ever have the evil eye thing? They were like, just kind of have a slant, like weird like thing. Many of you guys say that I have that. You're like, you're, it's always, you're, it's always seems that you're looking at me. I'm really not. Like, people say all the time, I think he was looking at me the whole time. It's not possible, okay? I can't possibly be looking at you the whole time. Um, but Avery, she just responds in that way. Dawson, on the other hand, so I take him through the exact same process, and um, what I soon realized is he had three minutes of intense crying, or three seconds, rather, of intense crying, and then right back to chaos, okay? Like, it was just like, oh, okay, that was not, and then he's just right back to it. So I had to implement the combination strategy. Um, that's, uh, I go through the whole process, and then I sit him down on the seat, and I say, okay, now you're just going to simmer down now here for a, a few minutes, right? And he sits and simmer down now, right? He sits, and he just kind of comes back, and then we can, Maddox just laughs. That's what Maddox does. He's my 16-month-old. Uh, uh, you spank him, and he, like, turns around and thinks it's hilarious. He's <laughs> like, that was the funniest thing that's happened all day. Could you please spank me again? And I'm like, and he's saying that in Ewok because he can't really talk. Like, aren't you thank you? Uh, you know, I'm like, what? I don't even know what you're saying. <clears throat> we respond to discipline differently, including uh, from the Lord. Uh, it's clear here that the writer is uh, speaking very specifically to someone who responds in depression there's some of you, when disciplined by the Lord, you're so consumed by your pity that you find yourself over in a corner. Uh, you find yourself completely depressed. And I'm not talking here in the clinical sense. I'm just talking about so overwhelmed by your negative emotions that what the writer is saying is, listen, that, that can't happen because action is now. Listen, what the Lord is doing in disciplining you, remember what we learned last week, is out of love is treating you as sons, and is for your holiness. All of that is good. There's no reason to sulk. What I find in a much of Christianity is we have a whole bunch of, of followers of Jesus, and at times I use that loosely, who are spending more time in the corner sulking, and as my mom called it, pouting. Did your mom ever call it that? Like if someone even infringes on your way of life for just a moment, right? That you have the audacity then to then create everyone else and treat everyone else as if they've come on your property and you find like you, you go against everyone. You just pouty. Too many pouty Christians is what I'm saying. Too many Christians overwhelmed by themselves that all they do is sulk in the corner. What the writer's saying, no, what is it? Lift up your drooping hands. Like it's time for action now. There is no time to sulk. I know it's easy. I know it's consuming to do that. And that's certainly what some of you do. The other way of uh, responding dis to discipline is, is allowing it to deepen your trust in Him. To really believe that what the uh, Scripture says is true. That it's out of love, treating you as sons, and for the pursuit of your holiness. So He says, listen, listen, get out of the corner. 
it's really not that bad. It could be much worse. And it's your opportunity to experience the love of God. So he says, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and then I'm obsessed with this next text, text verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. All kinds of imagery that goes through my mind when I start thinking about straight paths. I want to take us on a, a little bit of a scriptural journey, though, and then we're going to have some fun. Uh, so let's uh, look at this Proverbs text. Here's what uh, one writer says in Proverbs. In all your ways, acknowledge him, him being God, and he will make your path straight. So there's some ownership from Father God in making our paths straight. And then uh, we see this in Acts. Uh, Saul, uh, Paul, is uh, going against a magician in the early parts of Acts here, 13. And the scripture says this, but Saul who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. That's not a term of endearment. I wouldn't use that uh, loosely around your friends, you son. Uh, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So apparently, the straight paths are the thing to be sought after. The straight paths are the things for us to really embrace. My question has always been, though, so, so what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, cue the map. Uh, this is my favorite drive in all of America, right here. I got this off a of Google map. I uh, took a screenshot of it and then put it right here for your viewing pleasure. This is the drive from Denver, Colorado to Breckenridge, okay? Um, how, how, any fans here, okay? Colorado? Any Colorado haters, speaking of hate? No, we have one, okay? Uh, doesn't surprise me. Uh, now, You'll notice uh, the path here. Uh, a bunch of um, geniuses, engineering geniuses, got together one day. They said, hey, look, we're going to make a road th uh, through the mountains. Uh, we should probably try to, try to find the valleys, right? Like this is going to cost us a lot, going to be pretty time-consuming if we try to run these row ads like over all the crests of the mountains. So if you'll notice, if you can uh, see that with your spectacles there, uh, most of this journey takes place through, mount, uh, through valleys. Of course, you're going up and down, but you can obviously see it's very crooked. Now, uh, with your protractor, uh, mentally, think about drawing a line straight from the far right-hand side of the screen to a point B in the green mark there, a straight path. Things start to get pretty interesting there, doesn't it? Um, there's a whole lot of terrain. There's a whole lot of obstacles. There's a whole lot of uh, mountainous. A land, there are uh, plenty of water involved in this as well. It's uh, so intriguing to me that if, if you were to think right now, like, what would be your straight path to the river, depending on your angle? Like, you, like I right now would have to, like, get through this, like, brick structure. That would be interesting. Get through all these people. That could get awkward. And then I'd, I'd, have, to, I'd have to, like, climb over the stairwell, uh, which I'm not, I'm horrible with climbing and stairs combination. I'd have to cross moving traffic, hope for the best, like... My path that way, if it was straight, would be met with tremendous adversity. And yet the scripture says that, that that's what we should have, a straight path, not one that's crooked. Because can we just all agree for a moment? The crooked is easier. This was the easiest route for the people, the engineers, to save money and to save time. So here's what I want to know. How many of you find yourselves tonight on the easy route, the easy path? The path of, of least resistance, 
When God's like, no, no, you're missing it. I need you to come to a mountainous terrain so then you can fully depend on all that I am and not on who you are. No, you're missing it. My discipline of you is going to show you how deeply I love you. And so, yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, there's going to be obstacles and moments when it's incredibly difficult. But you're missing it if you think that my love isn't shown to you in that. That's the deepest part of my love. And so I pull out of this and I'm just like, man, finally I feel like I understand what it means to have a straight path. It means, God, whatever you may bring, whatever adversity, whatever pain, whatever trial, whatever joy, I want that way more than I want the crooked. And I think many of you guys find yourselves tonight like trying to dig your own path and make your own way. And you're getting tired of it, aren't you? It's interesting that it's more tiring doing this than it is actually a straight path. Put back up uh, the Hebrews text, uh, verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. How many of you guys have ever broken a bone before? Okay, It's not a fun uh, issue to have. Being lame here in the Greek is better uh, just without a foot. All right? Uh, and so what he's saying is, listen, it's one thing to be lame and not have a foot, and it's a whole another thing to have a, literally a joint pop out of place. Because when that happens, you can't use it again. I uh, had some crazy thoughts when I was a kid. And uh, one of them, after I started watching WWE, uh, was that uh, I could somehow emulate this in my childhood. And uh, I had a bunch of cousins around my age. They were all coming over one night. And I thought to myself, self, here's what would be fun. Let's turn off all the lights and then we'll wrestle. Well, uh, like there's a lot of issues that can arise in this moment. Again, in like seven, eight years old, you're not thinking through all these things. You're just kind of going for it. And um, I, this is back in the day. I had, a, I had a water bed when I was younger. Any of the rest of you guys? Listen, it was so much fun because it was always risky. Like at any given point, you could drown. At any given, like it was just, it was con- you felt like you were on the ocean, constantly seasick. Um, but the interesting thing about water beds is they're very dangerous. And uh, the corners of water beds, at least mine, it was like full exposed like wood corner, okay? Now like PETA or FDA, I don't know who, what organization it is, they would have a big problem with that, okay? Um, but, but when I was a kid, what's, is that PETA? What is that? What's PETA? That's a good food. Okay, I don't know. Anyway, um, so, uh, so we, we turn off all the lights and, uh, and so we're kind of like, you know, crawling around being all mischievous. And then I think to myself, you know what would be awesome is if I get on this chair that's in the corner of my uh, room and then I leap off and, and kind of Superman these guys and hope for the best, you know, just like land right on top of them. And, and, so, um, and so I found my way over to the chair and I'm like hearing, you know, snickers in the room. And then I remember very, very clearly uh, jumping off of this chair and like just waiting for the moment of impact. Uh, that certainly happened, but the problem was... Uh, the right here, like the, the piece of my head here went directly into the corner of the waterbed where those two wood pieces meet. And I know right now you're thinking, that explains it. Like, there we go. Now we've had <laughs> meant. Um, so I don't know if you've ever experienced a tremendous amount of pain before. Hit your head on a wood waterbed, like, like traveling through the air. It was horrible. Blood's gu- uh, gushing everywhere. I have to go to the hospital. Did someone throw up over there? <laughs> We okay? Get her a bag. Um, three days after that, 20 stitches across my forehead, okay? That'll scar. Uh, 
20, uh, three days after that, I'm playing catch with a baseball. <laughs> and uh, we're throwing, you know, you're throwing the baseball back and forth. And my buddy, uh, he was a bit uh, of an errant thrower. And, and so he threw me some kind of curveball. And the ball, like, kind of skidded off the top of the glove. And uh, right there in my forehead, you know, like right where all the stitches are. And so I kind of felt hardcore in the moment because I just got blood like dripping down my face. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> but I remember going to the hospital and they're like, serious? Because it's a small town. Like, seriously? Like, are you just going to spend your life like constantly reopening this gash, you moron? Go sit in a room with a bunch of mattresses in the corner and just, you know. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. Uh, this massive epidemic in our culture where um, I think one of your biggest fears is the fear of being healed. And it seems so strange to say, but many of you are on the perpetual pattern of just reopening the wound and you're completely okay with that because that's the identity that you've become comfortable with. The thought of being healed from the pain or even the shame or maybe even the regret of the sin that you're habitually connected to, the thought of being disconnected from that scares you to death. Because you know full well what life looks like over here. You know the pain associated with it. You know the self-consuming thoughts associated with it. And it scares you to think that somehow you could be healed of that and what that life would look like. It's as if you want to spend the rest of your life with an excuse. You want to spend the rest of your life being able to blame something on something instead of give, give God glory for healing that He's done in your life. See what I'm saying? And there's a difference between the excuse versus what God can do. And I just want to expose that right now to all of us and say, listen, if that's you, if you're fearful of what this identity looks like, let me tell you this, it's way better on this side. The lie in your mind is that there's no way, there's no way that you can ever be healed. Listen, can I just tell, tell all of you right now, that is one of the worst lies you'll ever believe. And you've all heard it, and I've heard it many times, you can't be healed from that, you can't be healed from that. No, but what the uh, enemy is doing, and what my own mind is doing, is creating and the very antithesis of what the gospel is. The heart of the gospel is, no, no, no. Listen, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. You will be healed. And so what he's saying is, listen, church, it's time to wake up. Healing is yours now. There's no need to be fearful of your identity on this side. I was uh, speaking last week at a conference, as I mentioned. Really heavy week for me. Um, talked a lot about suicide, talked a lot about uh, cutting, talked a lot about addictions. Had a kid come up, freshman in high school, say, uh, Mark, I've uh, contemplated suicide for a long time and I've tried three times in the last month. Like, I got nothing for that kid in that moment except the healing of Jesus. I got nothing. I got no cliches. I got no, it's, gonna, it's all going to be better. All I could do was look at him and say, listen, Listen, you're believing a lie that's not true. There's healing in the person of Christ. And that's not a cliche. That's completely true. But I know that many of you guys find yourself there in the same category. Uh, in your pain, you're seeking ways to comfort yourself. That could be through a litany of opportunities, not just 
cutting or thoughts of suicide, though I know many of you have done both. Many of you find yourself addicted to particular things based upon those because the comfort in the pain kind of turn to these things. Hey, listen, what would happen if, you, we, if none of us were like sitting on an escalator with the hospital up here and we just like, we just keep hitting stop? Like we know where help is and we're sitting lame in a wheelchair saying, no, 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 like, like, like the, the help is right there on crutches or with the iPad, whatever it may be. Stop hitting stop. Go to Jesus and let him do his healing work on us. Scripture says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What I'm saying is get out of the corner, man. It's time for action now. See what I'm saying? I know for many of you, you're like, what does this faith look like on the daily basis? Here's what it looks like. Not in the corner, self-consumed, because that leads to, uh, to someone who's not on mission. Are we together? So as he's getting into this conversation, and it gets even heavier as we get going, He's saying, if you're over there, it's time to get out. Healing is in Christ. Accept it now, right? He moves on to say this in uh, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, This verse, listen, just so you guys understand. You may think that uh, when I preach or teach that, like, I'm just like a communicator. (laughs) Listen, God brings me through the ringer on every one of these verses, I was uh, sharing with a bunch of pastors how I study. And I said, the first couple days of my study of the passage, I just read it with worship music going and let God mess me up. Remind me of how wretched I am and how in desperate need I am of Him. And so when I was reading this verse, I instantly thought of my neighbor. We uh, lived in a house, uh, live in a house now that our, uh, the house next to us was vacant for a couple years. And eventually uh, some people moved in and there was a bunch of overgrowth and stuff in between our yards. Well, they came and cleaned it all out, which was nice and all. Problem was it exposed some of the things on my house that were somewhat problematic. And so on the side of my garage, there was this like, like kind of wriggly field, ivy, nasty growth. And, um, and so my neighbor like cleared all that out. And so we were talking one day. He's like, hey, so, uh, so look, like your garage, like... Like, maybe, maybe you should paint that, like, it's, you know, because now the overgrowth, and now it kind of looks like trash, so why don't you go ahead and paint that, you know? And what he's saying is, listen, Mark, like, like paint this, like, I've taken care of this. Well, um, many of you guys know I'm not handy at all. I, I don't uh, and particularly enjoy swinging hammers and things. It's not that I don't like those things all the time. I just don't know what to do with them, really. Like, it, it seems kind of fun, but... Um, and, and that wasn't my excuse. My excuse was just I got lazy, and so a couple weeks later... I'm out there with my neighbor. He's like, so, man, hey, listen, don't worry about the whole painting thing. I know, I know you'll get to it when you can, you know, and it, it's, all, it's all good. And, and I know what he was saying was, like, listen, it's time. And so I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to knock this out in the next couple weekends, right? My neighbor's not a believer, okay? My neighbor's been very gracious. My neighbor, for the last three months, has said, listen, I know you're busy. I see you leave early in the morning. It's all, it's all good. But is it? Is it all good? Yeah, sure, he's saying that to me. But I told him I was going to do something. I haven't done it. Uh, what this scripture says is strive for peace. It means it's proactive. It's not reactive. I'm not sitting waiting for peace to come to me. I'm not hoping that it finds me. I'm going out and seeking it. And in this case, I've been completely convicted that I have not been seeking peace with my neighbor. Seeking peace with my neighbor is humbling myself tomorrow 
going to my neighbor and saying, look, I'm sorry, I was not a man of integrity. I told you I would paint this. I have not. I will do it, and I will do it soon. And allow the restoration process, and for him even to say, yeah, you know, you're right, it was kind of starting to bug me. The, the, the Greek a word here for strive is a zealous proactivity. It's you're really, really pursuing it. It's, it's someone who's extremely passionate about peace. Not like, you know, Miss America World Peace, but this kind of relational, good, healthy movement. So I thought I would help us with a few thoughts on what it looks like to strive, pursue, passionately, zealously peace. The first is this. When people sin against you, communicate with them and them alone. Let's hang here for a moment, shall we? Uh, why? Why do you feel the need to not do this? What overcomes you to think that the best way to handle your problem with someone else is by talking to your besties about it? Oh, but they'll understand. Yeah, maybe you should give them a chance to understand, the people who sinned against you. Maybe your desire to like rally the troops around your cause would be better served actually following the Scripture. What the Scripture says in Matthew 18 is when a brother sinned against you, you go to them. Oh, there is no ifs, ands, and buts about that. If you want to pursue peace, if you want to be active about peace, I tell you what, the first thing you do is anytime anyone wrongs you, sins against you, causes tension in your heart, causes some thought in your mind to even possibly hate them, you be a big girl and a big boy and you go and talk to them. It is way more cowardly, my friends, to sit back and talk to others about the issue and gather prayer requests. When I was in youth group, the big thing was the unspoken, right? Hey, I, I got, yeah, youth pastor, I got an unspoken prayer request, right? You'd be like, oh, okay, so what's the unspoken? Well, it's, well, you, so there's this big issue I'm having with this person you guys might or might not know. Their first initial is J. Um, their middle name is, I'm sure you don't know their middle name. Uh, their middle name is Michael. Anyway, last initial S. Anyway, they're, um, I just really, could you guys pray over the situation? It's really bad. And they're like sitting in the room, right? We do that all the time. Cowardly sitting back, not being pursuers of peace. Listen, here's the writer's point. You want to daily follow Jesus? Key number one is you live at peace with people. There's so much relational tension in this room. People at odds, people have opinions. My friends, that will get you in a whole lot of quarrels, that will waste a whole lot of time, and that will get you a whole lot out of mission. The Christians uh, that I see in our culture are spending way more time backbiting against each other than truly loving and serving others and proclaiming the gospel and truth of Christ. That's a problem, right? That creates a bitterness in my heart, and I wish it wasn't there. I'm like, why is this happening? The second thing is this, and this will really help us. Be a constant source of encouragement for those around you. Constant source. You know right now the people you enjoy being around are not the people you instantly see and they're negative. It's like all the time, all they have is negative thoughts to share and negative things to say. And I'm not getting, you know, prosperity gospel like we just need to put a smile and it's all going to be okay. And my daddy said, I'm not talking about that. All right? I'm not talking about that. I'm saying when the gospel, when Jesus has infected your heart with a tremendous amount of joy, 
Like it can't not come out and encourage others. Are you with me? The problem is we're not finding our joy in Him. And so what do we do? We get together and we can't be a constant uh, source of encouragement because our encouragement comes from Him. We lack consistency in encouragement because we're trying to find it in other places. I'm saying, listen, let's turn from that. Let's start finding our joy in Christ again, our encouragement in who He is, and then we will be much more pleasant to be around. Isn't it a darn shame that Christians are some of the least pleasant people to be around? It's because they know the truth, but they're sitting at the bottom of the escalator hitting stop. I don't want healing. I'd rather sit in the corner and sulk. That's a problem. It's an issue, and it's giving the world an opportunity to say, yeah, I don't, like, hypocrisy is running that deal over there. I don't need anything to do with those people. I'll just sit here and sulk too. It's an issue. Third thing is this, maybe the most prevalent. When others rebuke you, respond in humility and grace. Uh, your first nature uh, is the, uh, what I definitively call the slant head. Someone, have you seen this? Like someone says, hey, I want to I talk to you about something. And they start going. And as that gets more intense, like your head starts to slant like this. It's like, what? Are you, you know? And like you're, have you, have you seen this? Try it out sometime. Like just go rebuke someone like really hate, hatefully after this and watch their head. It'll happen. You're like, what in the world, you know? What happens is we're teaching each other not to rebuke us. Someone comes in love challenging us, trying to follow number one. And then we instantly get defensive. We instantly um, rebuttal. We instantly say, no, that can't be me. I've really learned in my life, and this is through many hard lessons, that no matter how harsh the statement, no matter how ridiculing it is, no matter how attacking it is, my best mode of operation always is to respond in humility and grace. I have saved myself so much trouble by not lashing out and getting defensive. I've saved myself so much time and not having to go back and apologize for things that I said in haste because I responded in humility. So help me understand that this is what you're saying about me. And then you think that by apologizing, that means, oh, well, well, if I made you feel that way, look, I'm really sorry, all right? That kind of sounded New York. I kind of had a New York accent there. (laughs) I'm inspired by the Scottish accent here tonight, but... Listen, that's, that's not an apology. An apology is not, hey, if I made you feel this way, I'm really, I'm really, no, it's not an apology. Listen, I'm sorry. Clearly, you're coming to me, and I appreciate the courage. How, how often have you thanked people for rebuking you? Thank you for the courage that it took to come to me. Maybe then we'll start rebuking each other in love more often if we start thanking each other for it. But we're not right now. Backbiting. So it's one thing to look at this uh, in a list like this. Another thing to look at it from the Word. Uh, the guys that I'm discipling know that my favorite chapter in the Bible is Romans 12. This seems like a pertinent opportunity to discuss it. Romans 12, of, of verse of 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's interesting. And I know you think, okay, so by blessing them, that means like I run away from them. No, not necessarily. Blessing is wishing well on people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Isn't it amazing when we're living in harmony? Isn't it? Come on. Listen, you know full well, when you're at relational odds and tension with others, it is so consuming. You lose sleep, it causes so much tension, a lot of tears, a lot of anger. When you're living in harmony with people, isn't it fun? 
It like brings us back to the very beginnings of Genesis when God said it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because it's beautiful when people can live in harmony with each other. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love this in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As long as it depends on you. So uh, let me tell you a quick story about another neighbor I have. I have uh, tried my darndest to love on this woman, okay? Uh, I went over the first time. Uh, we had just moved, and it snowed. And I went over and said, hey, can I, you know, I was thinking I was going to do the nice, can I shovel your driveway for you? And she's like, you know, she's 65, 70. No, no, you can't. I'm, I'm, okay, well, have a good day, you know. And, and that was the start of our relationship. Like, there was no high, it was no you can't. And so, so, so initially, our human perspective says what? Well, forget you then. That's going to be your attitude? All right. Forget you. No, no, no. So the next time I see her outside, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm the, so, you know, she's like, okay, you know, she gives me the slant head, you know. Like, what was, didn't even do anything to you. I'm, right. Listen, as long as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. See what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what she's doing or not doing. That's why the writer goes on to say this, knowing that it would be a struggle in our minds. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Some of you are like, finally, that's the verse I've been waiting on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody wrongs me, God's going to get out a little wrath on you, you know? You may even say it at times. Oh, go ahead, you keep that coming right now. Hey, there's a scripture that talks about God's wrath falling on your face, you right? You ready for that? Be a big little gap, yeah. It's coming for you, right? That's... That's not quite what we're talking about here. Um, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. One of the most intimate things we can do is eat with people. You see what the writer's doing? He's bringing attention to, listen, can you think about having your enemy in your home, at your dining room table, and still feeding them? though they've just persecuted you, though they've just said all these not, whatever it is. That's what it looks like to live at peace with all. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're like, so do I go ahead and enact that out? Like they come over, they don't eat my food, take some coals, throw it in the oven, like put it in a nasty hat on their head. No, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, listen, with the right motive, when you are living like Christ, overwhelmed with joy and grace, you will keep overextending mercy. It never stops. It's beautiful. And in doing so, like eventually people are just like, what is wrong with you? Like I've, I have not tried in any way, shape, or form to relationally connect with you. What is wrong with you? And you're, you just get to be like everything. And that's, that's why Jesus came in, you know? Like everything is wrong with me. And it gives you this awesome chance to share the truth of Christ. So he ends with this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amazing text. Go back uh, to my verse 14, if you mind. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So so quick question. Um, do you feel like right now there are some in your life, relationships, that you are not striving proactively some, pe- uh, some peace treaty kind of sitting back, waiting for it to come to you. You think it's owed you. 
There's some tension, family member, whatever it is. What does it look like for you tonight? Tonight, confess, ask for their forgiveness, seek out that relationship, say, listen, let's just get the elephant out in the room. Sometimes that's the biggest part, isn't it? Listen, you, you have something wrong with me. Let's just say it, okay? We're not going to type it on a Facebook post. We're not going to you know, add a picture to it. I'm not going to text it. Listen, get over your cowardly writing something out. Speak to people. Remember when we used to do this? Actually, you don't. Back when I was, back before like cell phones, like say by the bell days, right? Where the first cell phone was like the size of your head, okay? It was more convenient then to talk to people. Now it's like all we do is share our thoughts through words. Listen, let me tell you something. I could send the same text to 20 people and they could take it 20 different ways. Many of you guys know this about me. I will not send any text or email at all that has any potential to be contrived as negative. Won't do it. Again, I save myself a tremendous amount of time and energy in not having to go back, man, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that through that email. I just don't do it. If it's not encouraging, if it's not building up, there is no point. I need to talk to you face-to-face, not like a coward about it. That's what seeking and striving peace is. So whatever it is for you tonight to get on the proactive side of that, do it. Turn now. And then he says, uh, strive for holiness. Which feels a little bit problematic for me. I'm like, okay, like striving uh, striving for peace, that feels somewhat organic. But holiness, like purity, righteousness, how am I to strive for that? An amazing part of the text. Amazing part of the text. Check this out. What we studied last week, look at this uh, in verse 10. Discipline of the Lord, Hebrews 12. For they disciplined us, our fathers, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But the disciples, us for, uh, but, but, but the disciplines rather, us for our good that we may share in his holiness. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. In other words, the thing that the writer's calling us to strive for is already initiated by God. We say all the time here that worship is our response to God's initiation. God is the one pursuing. And so here he's saying, listen, I'm disciplining you for holiness sake. So strive after it because I'm already empowering you to be it. Isn't that cool? He's not done there though. Look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's somewhat true. But later it yields the what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is doing and pursuing the things he's asking us to do. That is an amazing father. Someone who doesn't just kick us out and say, hey, uh, good luck with all this stuff. No, he's like, listen, I am disciplining you. Making your path straight. Having you to go through chaos in life. So that then you're empowered to strive for peace and to seek out holiness. That, my friends, is a great God. That's why he ends with verse 15 in this particular passage. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many people become defiled. Many become defiled. If you're not uh, making peace, you're making trouble. And I'm, I'm borderline, when Jesus tossed the tables, I'm borderline that. Because I see s- there's so much unnecessary drama by troublemakers. God has protected our body for six and a half years, and I'm so glad. 
but we must always be on the lookout because there is this nature in some of you and all of us to some extent that desires to stir up stuff. And how does that happen? You're thinking about 1-800-YOSELF and not anyone else. It's a real number. Look it up later, right? <laughs> Anytime you're thinking about yourself more than others, you will start to stir up trouble. Because you'll make decisions that are based around your gratification, about your needs, about the things that most comfort you. Seriously, one, one of my angsts with Facebook and all kinds of social media is some of you have done the stupidest things, not considering anyone else in the name of yourself, using social media for your demise, and then for the whole world to see. You are a troublemaker. You're stirring up tension. You're causing people to wonder what the heck you're doing. Why are the people that are so attributed, should be to love, seem to struggle the most with hate? Why do we find ourselves constantly having to fight quarrels and backbite against each other when we have the same parent? Maybe you guys grew up in homes where there was a little bit of sibling rivalry, right? Close brother or sister didn't quite get along so good. A little fighting, a little dark rustling here and there, whatever it may be. You know, it's tough. Next week we're going to see one of the sibling rivalries, Jacob and Esau. Why do we have that amongst ourselves? Why do we have sibling rivalry? Sons and daughters of God, why do we have it? Why? Why are there some of you, and at times all of us, that see the need to stir up trouble in the body? Listen, if you're not making peace, you're stirring up trouble. Plain and simple. And so I just want to say uh, to all of you right now, we need to spend a whole lot less time fighting battles against each other and a whole lot more time loving and serving those who aren't in this room. But the problem is we can't get past it because someone starts in their idiosyncrasy a little fire over here and so now everyone has to rally. Someone starts a fire over here. Here we are again. I'm like, seriously? I found myself uh, as a young youth pastor, 18 years old, in a room with a bunch of uh, elderly folks. They asked me to come to this meeting. They wanted my perspective. I didn't know on what. Pretty soon we were in a discussion, true story, about the carpet color they were going to put in the auditorium. Don't laugh. This is like the worst moment of my life. All right? I don't like meetings. And so, like, literally two hours into this meeting, you got old boy over here saying purple. You know, this woman over here saying burgundy. You know, this person saying, no, it's like yellow, purple, and burgundy. It'll be like a rainbow of Jesus in here, you know. And... um. I kept my mouth uh, shut for two hours of this nonsense. People are like pulling out passages. Like, no, no, in the word right here, like it says we need to go red, like blood red. You know, I'm like, what? Right? And so finally, I just raised my hand. I'm like, listen, um, in all love and humility, I, I, and I'm a wretched punk, I'm 18, I just want to say, don't you guys think there's a better use of our time? That's all I said. I sat down. I could tell, like, I got the slant head from a few of the people. One of the key moments in my ministry is an, an, the 80-year-old patriarch of the church came up to me afterwards. And what he said was, he was like, listen, he's like, you keep standing for the truth. 
You remember that moment, like thinking like all those people hated me? And that man said, listen, you keep standing for the truth. Because the reality is, I'm not talking about the peace or the holiness or the relational tension. That doesn't mean that you don't stand for the truth. Are you guys with me? The scripture says about Jesus that he didn't come for peace but for division. What does that mean? It means there's going to be angst because he's standing for the truth. But you and I have this chance to not get caught up in constant quarrels over nothing. Think of how much time you've wasted arguing with someone else about something incredibly ignorant. Many of you guys know this about, uh, about me too. I don't get in debates with people. I do not debate with people. Even about things that I'm so passionate about. I will have discussions with people. I will ask them questions. But I will not sit and point a finger and say, you're an idiot, you're wrong. Why? What I found is the mode of operation works a whole lot better is if I stay humble. If I sit back. You're like, yeah, but you're really, yeah, I'm still fired up in those conversations. But I'm not going to debate. Scripture talks clearly against stupid, ignorant debates. They waste a whole lot of time and, in my experience, get hardly anywhere. So I'm just saying, stop causing trouble. You're a root of bitterness in our community. And I'm not just talking about Matthias. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Seek, pursue, passionately peace. Stop stirring it up for your own devices. Then I love the way the writer begins this verse. Uh, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Um, So, with my neighbor... I have this amazing opportunity to show him the very essence of the gospel. He has no idea about it. He has no idea what peace means. But by explaining and displaying and emulating peace in our relationship, I get the chance to show him the very base premise of the gospel. That God has made peace with me through his son Jesus though I'm completely undeserving. And so my relationships are opportunities on the day-to-day basis to reveal the very premise and heart of the gospel. God made peace with me, though I should be an enemy of His, though I should be hostile against Him, though He should completely be fully against me, but He's, he's made me and called me His friend, His son, His kid. And I have that chance with my unbelieving neighbor And so that's what he says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Listen, you're going to pursue these things on a daily basis because you have this unbelievable chance to show them the truth. So hop to it. What are you waiting on? What are you spending your time doing? Let's stand together. I want to end uh, with uh, this slide. Why is it that the people that get the opportunity as sons and daughters to know the love of God find themselves hating more than others? Why do you find yourself having the chance of being able to experience through God's discipline the depth of His love for you as a son and daughter and yet you find yourself so quickly riddled with hatred 
and judgment and gossip. One side of this is much better than the other. And the other side is pulling us away from our opportunity to communicate to this culture the peace that can be theirs through the grace of Jesus. And so I'm calling the believers in this room to this, to healing. All the hatred in your heart, all the bitterness, all the thoughts about others and even some of your close friends that is welling up inside, causing you to quarrel and act ignorantly. There is healing in Jesus and there's healing now. It's amazing. There's no need for you to fear that healing. On this side of the healing is way better than over here. Though the lies come in, you'll never be healed. Life will never get better. Oh yeah, sit in a corner the rest of your life and sulk. And the moment you're freed, you know you are free indeed. You see what I'm saying? So listen, what does it look like tonight to pray that God would heal you of your hatred and maybe in so doing cause you to really truly exemplify the love that he is and has for the world maybe just maybe one of the most important pieces of the gospel we're completely missing because we're afraid of being healed I want to pray that he'll hear that he'll heal us tonight let's pray together So God, for all of the hatred that's welling up, for all of the relational tension and the bitterness, for all the judgment and the gossip, we just lay at your feet. God, will you heal the hatred in my heart? Will you heal the hatred in my brothers and sisters? Will you make in us and create in us people of peace? people stirred by you and desiring to be very proactive in our approach. God, will you please do a work in us, God? We don't want perpetual brokenness in the wound just to be exposed. God, please heal us in our brokenness. Restore us, God. For those that are fearful of that, of losing the identity of pain, remind them, God, of your son walking out of a tomb. Heal us, God.